Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at Kenosha.Church or on Facebook or Instagram at Kenosha.Church. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. For the month of October, we'll be taking a look at spiritual warfare. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, we're going to be going into a five-week series on how to win uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, this is by no means a series that we're going to give unneeded attention to the devil, all right? But we do face a serious and yet defeated foe. When Jesus died on the cross, the enemy lost, right, church? And when Jesus rose from the dead, the enemy's fate was indeed sealed. However, as the enemy is on the losing path, he wants nothing more than to take you down. All right, so we're going to be dealing with this in the next five weeks. By the way, our last week, it's a special week. I want to put you, I want to give you some details of what that's all about. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. But we're going to have a special speaker. His name is Greg Steer. Uh, he's with Dare to Steer Ministries. He's dropping a book nationally through Zondervan. Um, and he's talking about how to be an unlikely warrior. And this fits precisely in the series that we're doing. He's going to also give us opportunities to be trained up in how to share our faith, go out in the streets. We'll talk more about that. But this series should seriously equip you in the culture of what you find yourself in uh, right now. Now, as we talk about this, again, let's kind of just preface uh, what the series is and is not. C.S. Lewis said this in his Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors. One is to disbelieve their existence, there being the enemy. The other is to believe and feel excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so we want to have a balanced approach of the enemy that we face and also the tools of how to grow and thrive in the spiritual warfare of which you find yourself in. This week we're going to kick it off. Today's talk is called Wake Up, We Are at War. And if you're taking notes, uh, I will try to be very note-friendly with you today. Um, I have an opening question, though. Uh, when is the last time that you felt really, really weak? When's the last time that you just woke up and life just seemed uh, like you just wanted to go back to sleep? Maybe you're faced with temptations that you thought that were over in your life. Maybe things were coming back and, and you're hearing things in your, in your mind that you haven't heard in years. Maybe even if you're honest, some of these temptations that you heard, you gave into in these last week. Maybe uh, you woke up and, you, and you, had, you had forgiven someone a long time ago, but these grievances seemed real. Maybe the hurts and wrongs of your past are back. Maybe the joy has been missing and you've been looking uh, for anywhere and everywhere to fill that void of joy. When's the last time you felt these things? You haven't felt strong. You felt like you're under attack. You know, I, I want to just say this to you. Everybody will answer that question in the affirmative that yes, indeed, they feel under attack at one point or not. If as long as you're alive, you're engaged in a warfare that is not flesh and blood, but is indeed spiritual, you will feel the effects of spiritual warfare. You will face temptations, whether it's to bring people or things in your life that will send you astray. You will face things that will lead you away or try to lead you away from the will of God. The struggle is indeed real. Spiritual warfare is indeed real. And we're not to be surprised about this. In fact, Paul told the Ephesians church specifically what we are to uh, not be, what we're gonna engage. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. In fact, if you wanna turn there in your Bibles or your YouVersion Bible apps or Kenosha.Church app, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. This is where we're gonna start today. Ephesians 6, 10, we're not to be surprised why. It's, he says this, finally, as he ends his whole letter to the Ephesians church, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against some kind of visible enemy, per se. That's not, that's not where the fight's at. But rather, it's against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, it is, we are so keen to look at the circumstances in our life and say that's our struggle, right? Some of you struggle to get out of bed this morning, right? Some of you are struggling with those temptations. Some of you feel like you're struggling with relationships or maybe it's finances or, 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 or maybe it's just getting the kids to school or, or facing another day at work. Maybe it's facing an illness. It's so easy to admit the circumstantial struggles in our life while discounting or forgetting about altogether the spiritual struggle of which we are engaged in. In fact, our culture is quick to discount 
uh, or dismiss altogether that there indeed is a spiritual struggle, that there is spiritual warfare. In fact, Psychology Today, which is a, a collection of writer, writings and writers uh, that influence the psychologists of our culture today, uh, Psychology Today published a piece after Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia declared that he indeed believed in the existence of Satan. So one of our uh, chief justices, a number of our chief justices, believe in the spiritual realm. Psychology Day was quick to respond and dismiss. This is, this is what they wrote, and this is so key because this is influencing many of our counselors today. Psychology Today says this, there's no such thing as the devil, just as there's no such thing as fairies, imps, and goblins. The largest religions in the world, primarily Christianity, teach that there is a devil, and they are wrong. There is no evidence for such a thing, not a shred, unquote. So that's psychology today. So we can see that people are dismissing it. But yet, if you were to talk to the general public, they would have some kind of idea of what the enemy or what the devil or what demons is all about, and primarily through Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood loves to make a lot of money on horror films, uh, whether it's the girl that's turning her head 360 degrees, right? That's kind of scary. Or the poltergeist in the mirror at midnight. Uh, people love to make money on the demonic, and we love to be entertained by it. What happens is this, is that we fictionalize the demonic by turning it into uh, entertainment, and it's caused us to, create, to, to lower our walls and to actually have maybe some intrigue. So when people watch a movie, they're like, hmm, I wonder if that's real in real life. And so they go to a psychic to go talk to their dead grandpa. Uh, they, they, they go to an Ouija board to find their future without ever giving a thought that there is real spiritual implications of what they're doing. And the way that physics or witches or that 900 number tell you the future is, number one, they're either lying or, secondly, what I think happens more time than not, they are getting borrowed information from demonic activity. So the next time that uh, someone talks to a psychic and they said they talked to their dead grandpa, that wasn't their dead grandpa, all right? Now others, they think of Satan as that kid that will show up on your doorstep in three weeks with the horns and the, the pitchfork saying trick or treat, right? And so we have fictionalized the enemy in a number of ways. We've outright denied him, we've glamorized him in Hollywood movies, or we give them candy on the 31st of October. But we have a real enemy. And my question is this, as I, as I began to ponder just even this series, why would the enemy fictionalize himself and downplay himself? And I believe this is his tactic in our society today. In some third world societies, he doesn't downplay himself. He's right out in the open and people worship him. But in our Western world, why does the enemy, why is one of his tactics is to deny himself or to lampoon himself? And I believe it's this way. When the enemy downplays himself, then Satan can manifest himself in plain sight. We don't give a shrug to it. It's a prime example of gaslighting. It's a prime example of demonic activity happening right before us, and yet psychology today says, hey, nothing to see here. We have a real struggle. It's more than your circumstances. In fact, this is our main point today if you're taking notes. The spiritual struggle is real. Yes, the struggle is real in life, but the spiritual struggle is real, and we need to understand that. We need to be aware of that this morning. And so we're gonna talk about three realities this morning. Uh, one of which, point number one, we're going to spend an extensive amount of time. If you're note takers, sometimes some points take longer than others. You're going to get real nervous today. I'm like, are we going to get to point two? Yes, we will. But point one, I want to spend an excessive amount of time on. So point one is this. The realities of our struggle, number one, is you have a real enemy that is at war with you. You have a real enemy that is at war with you. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 again. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against its evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We see here very clearly we are at war with a real enemy and we need to be completely and utterly prepared because if we're not, we're going to be open to complete and utter attack. We're going to be vulnerable. Often we think that's no big deal. And how does this manifest? You can know that if you think that spiritual warfare is no big deal in your life, it manifests in not reading God's word, not knowing God's word, not obeying God's word, not swimming in God's word. If you are not regularly in God's word, you are right now vulnerable to attack. You are being attacked right now. And you're probably struggling in that attack. Another way that you can see that uh, you're succumbing to spiritual warfare is you're not obedient, you're trying to look through different ways that you, this, this text really doesn't apply today, or, oh, you know, this, is, this was culture, you know, we don't really need to do this. 
Others, you don't want to make meeting with your church family a priority. The accountability of being with the church body where we can encourage one another is so key in winning in spiritual warfare. Others, you're trying to rely on your own strength and your own knowledge and not the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. These are symptoms that you are succumbing to spiritual attack. As a result, people are eating and drinking and being merry all the while a nuclear bomb is ready to go off in your life. When you ignore the war, you're ignoring the spiritual reality to your peril. There's a guy in history that did this. His name was Neville Chamberlain, all right? I don't know if anybody was, oh, what, what's up with that? Okay, no picture there, all right? Yes, no Neville, all right? So just envision Neville Chamberlain. If you don't know who he is, you can Google it later, all right? But Neville Chamberlain, uh, he was, uh, well, he's famous for being the British Prime Minister uh, in England just before the outbreak of World War II. And he's most famous for brokering a peace deal with Adolf Hitler. Uh, he met with Adolf Hitler and, and he convinced him to only take part of Czechoslovakia. And Neville Chamberlain, he came home and as he's getting off the plane, he's holding up the peace deal and he literally says, peace of our day, peace of our time. We are not going to war. We have negotiated our way out of war. Well, soon after, Hitler took all of Czechoslovakia, and within eight months, bombs were dropping over London for a course, uh, for a course, or excuse me, in two years' time, bombs started dropping over London for a course of eight months. That's anything but peace. If, 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 you can, if you want to understand this, you cannot negotiate with the enemy. The enemy wants to defeat you. And often we can act like the war is no big deal, but when we are in denial, we're holding up peace of our time. I've negotiated with the devil. I can be partially obedient. I don't need to read my word. I don't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need to walk and step with the Lord. Why? Because he's not gonna attack me. I've talked to him. I'm gonna be okay. I can live my life with God on the side and however I want to do. It's peace of our time. No, just not engage and when let the Lord fight your battles, you are declaring spiritual surrender. But to win spiritual warfare, you must first admit there is a war, a war for your mind, for your heart. The Lord is equipping you that you do not have to surrender, but indeed victory can be yours. Now next week we'll dive deeper into the enemy's tactics, but we need to know our enemy. Now listen, here's the deal. I often don't talk about the enemy because the enemy's a defeated foe. I don't like giving him glory. However, we have revelation so that we know what we're up against. And we also have revelation that we are, we are not defeated by this enemy, all right? I just want to preface that. The enemy. The enemy is a counterfeit. The enemy is real, but he's a counterfeit. He's been committed to hindering the fame of God and the progress of the gospel since the beginning of time. He's been trying to steal that glory of God for his own glory. Now, Satan was originally, Satan, which is his Hebrew name means adversary, Satan was originally uh, created as an angel. Now, angels are created to be messengers of God and to give glory to God. And that's what Satan was created, that was his original intention. And we know that there were no demonic activity in the original created purposes. We see this all through the creation account. When you get to the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God declared everything. He saw everything he had made. And behold, he said it was very good. Everything he created was good. There's, there's nothing that here today that was not created by Almighty God. But we have a problem. By the time that we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see an individual come in the manifestation of a snake named uh, Satan. And he basically tempts the two first human beings to sin. And a good and logical question would be, where did he come from, right? Have you ever read Genesis? I'm like, where, where did Satan come from? I thought, Jesus, I thought God created everything, right? I, I, thought, I thought God created all, all creation. Where did Satan come from? Well, that's a good question. And we have two texts that give us very clear answers to that. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we read this. I'll put it on the screen. For if God didn't spare angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. Now, what I want us to focus is on this. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, we notice that there was a time that a number of angels sinned against the purposes of God. So what was the occasion? And we get this 
picture in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah talks about it. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, I'll put this on the screen. This is where Satan sinned and took a number of angels with him. Shining morning star, how have you fallen from the heavens? You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the, the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds and I'll make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol in the deepest regions of the pit. Satan rebelled against God, saying, I will become like God. I want his glory. And we know in the book of Revelation, he took a third of the angels with him. Now, this was a one-time occurrence, a one-time rebellion. Unlike human beings where we have all rebelled and we all are in need of a savior, some angels rebelled, but they have no way of salvation. The, the angels that fell are demons. Their fate, is, their fate is sure. They have no way for redemption, unlike human beings. And these fallen angels, demons, they will face judgment. They aren't gonna have a party in heaven like Hollywood likes to show, right? These demons will face judgment. They are a defeated foe, but until, they, until their, their fate is secure in hell, they're gonna try to take each and every one of you down. They're trying to burn this thing down. The spiritual struggle is real. We have a real enemy at war with you. The enemy is a counterfeit. He's a counterfeit. He's a liar. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul encourages, encourages us to stand against the schemes of the enemy. This real enemy is scheming against you right now. He wants nothing more for you to be ineffective. He wants nothing more for you to be addicted. He wants nothing more for you to be angry. He is scheming against that low-hanging fruit. He is scheming against you when you feel like, oh, I'm strong. I, I've overcome this, I'm just so strong, he's got you. Why? Because you're relying on yourself, you're relying on past victories. The enemy is scheming to take you down right now. Kyle Snodgrass, he said this, he's a theologian, said this, he says, mention of the word schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery by which evil and temptation present themselves in our lives. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflage trap. The enemy wants to normalize sin. He wants to normalize those vices in your life to make you addicted, to make you defeated, to divide you, to divide your families, and ultimately take you down because he's going down. To put it another way, the enemy's goal is to turn you away from the cause of Christ and he's constantly evangelizing you into his deception. He's trying to convince you to embrace things that are diametrically opposed to the things of God. And that's why he goes straight for your mind. If he has your mind, he can have your heart. If he has your heart, he's got you. Romans chapter eight, verse five. We mentioned this in our Empire series. I wanna read it again. Romans chapter eight, verse five. It's on the screen for you. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Now notice what Paul is telling us. The mind set on the flesh is against God. It's diametrically opposed to the things of God. To set your mind means that you are setting your affections on something. If you were to set your mind on the flesh, this would include worldly philosophy, false religions, idols, the twisting of God's word. Listen, here's the deal. Let's make this clear. The enemy can't read your mind, right? <laughs> you don't need to lay, lay it awake and like, oh no, he's reading my mind. He's, reading, he's not a mind reader. He doesn't know all, all things. God knows all things, right? Don't give the enemy attributes that are only for the Lord. He can't read your mind, but he knows what you verbalize. He knows how you act. He knows your vulnerabilities. He wants to influence the way you think. He can influence your mind by tempting you to trust anything and everything over trusting God. And he wants to blind your mind in the process. 
Paul tells the Corinth church in 2 Corinthians 4.4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The enemy is wooing you. He's wooing this world. He wants to deceive you, divide you, divide your family, your friends, your church, and ultimately trying to seek to destroy you. The spiritual struggle is real. And we need to acknowledge this morning, the first step in this spiritual warfare is acknowledging that we have a real enemy that's at war with you. Now, how does this enemy, with your mind, how does he try to blind you? We notice Paul tells the Corinth church that he is trying to blind the minds. How does he try to blind us? Well, he blinds us first and foremost by trying to show us things that we don't currently have. You know, uh, just a few days ago, Alice and I, replaced our our van that's still in the desert it should be gone next week uh but uh, uh we replaced our van with the same van so it looks like we don't even have it uh any, any change there uh we we bought a van that was within our budget um and and we were really excited about that and when we went on to the dealership um first thing i noticed it was online so i called them i said hey is this is this van still available? And you know, in this era, the supply chain shortages and all that, uh, finding things can be very, very difficult. So I, my, my hopes were really low. So I got on the phone and said, hey, is this van still available? I'm like, oh yes, it's available. But man, there is so much demand on this thing. It is, you better get up here right now. I'm like, oh boy. Uh, Allison, we gotta get up there right now. Like this thing's gonna be gone, right? And so we just flew right up to that, that dealership. And when I arrived there, there was nobody there, right? There was no one there. And I realized, whoa, they got me frantic. Because you know what happens? When you're looking around at things you don't have, the enemy wants to make you frantic. Why does he want to make you frantic? It, takes, it makes you vulnerable. It takes those guardrails in your mind and it lowers them. And it begins to cloud your thinking as what Paul told the Corinth church. It begins to blind our thinking. And so we get them, we're all frantic. Like, where's this van? Where's this van at, right? Now, to, you know, to the dealership's credit, they treated us really good. But you know what I had to do to even find this van? I had to walk through vans that were way better than the van that we picked out. Oh yes, our van was, it fit our budget. But I walked by these other vans. They were a lot newer. They were a lot prettier, a lot shinier, less dense than the one I was gonna buy. And I can't tell you, I couldn't help but take a little look, right? It's like, oh man, that, 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 oh, that truck would look really good. We don't need a van, honey. That truck looks real good, right? And, and to the credit of this dealer, this, this uh, car dealer, um, he, was, he was a really good guy, all right? And, and there, just because you're a car dealer doesn't mean you're a bad guy. That's a, that's a legitimate profession, guys, all right? Just like people that were, you know, one time I made fun of the DMV and then I realized the head of the DMV was in the front row. I was like, oops, <laughs> right? So any car dealers in here, God bless you, all right? So, but a bad car dealer, yeah, I think of the demons, all right? So anyway, just demonic, right? But you know what these bad car dealers do? You come in for that car, you're all frantic thinking, oh man, this car's gonna get bought. And they're sending you through all these brand new cars and they see, they're looking for your second look. Oh, you wanna take a look at this car? You wanna test drive it? Well, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, I'll test drive it. They get you inside that car. You begin to smell the intoxicating smell of that new car. And before you know it, you're not buying a car that's seven years old. You're going into debt for seven years on a car you can't afford. And that's exactly what the enemy does in our life. He has you looking for the things that you don't have. He wants to tempt you into the things that you can't have and you should not have. And that's exactly what he's going for in your mind right now. The enemy will always make you look at what you don't have. The enemy will remind you also, it's never good enough. And as a result, we're never satisfied with the, the car we have, the home we have, the job we have, the amount of money that's in your bank account. You might not even be satisfied with your spouse or kids. You're looking around, why don't you dress that way? Or why don't you act that way? You need to, oh, do I need to slender up, right? Like, okay, like, you know, we, we start comparing ourselves and then we start putting it on our kids. Why aren't you getting grades like him? Why aren't you scoring goals like him? Why aren't you, why aren't you aspiring to be this, like this person over here? And we put all this pressure on our kids. People always wanna say, oh man, Gen Z, like, you know, they just have problems. Where do you think they got them from? They got him from us helicoptering and smashing and crushing our kids, not giving them the Lord God Almighty, but giving them culture's expectations. And who is the marionette of culture's expectations? We know it's not the Lord God Almighty. We know it is the puppeteer of spiritual warfare. You follow me, church? You follow me? Spiritual struggle is real. 
He wants to go for your family. Satan hates God's design for family. He hates it. If you're married, he hates that you're married. If you're single, he wants to ruin everything about your singleness. He hates the season you're in because he wants you to be discontent with the season you're in and who's in your life. He starts this process in the teenage years. Teenagers are looking at porn, sometimes in the preteen years, actually, that's where it starts. He wants teenagers to be in the hookup culture, the sexting culture. He wants you to prepare you to play house with somebody that you'll probably never marry. And if you're single, he will tempt you that you're missing out on life because you're single. You don't have someone right now. What's the matter with you? The enemy doesn't want you to hear God's voice because whatever season you're in right now, God is speaking. He's leading you. He's equipping you for your future. And the enemy doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to be equipped. He wants to be disengaged, disarmed, and wounded into your next season. He goes after you in your teenage years, your single years. But you know what I hear often? I hear this all the time. You know, all our problems will go away when we get married or when I get married. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have have thought that before? All your hands should be up because you thought, oh, oh man, this will all get better. No, it gets harder, right? Everything that was cute, oh, that's so cute. I'm like, it won't be cute. You'll be back in here and having marriage counseling, right? He putting the toilet paper on the wrong way. I thought that was cute, not anymore. The enemy wants your marriage to be ended. The enemy wants you to look at somebody who's not your spouse. The enemy wants to hook you, whether you're a teenager, whether you're married, whether you're widowed, whatever you are, he wants you to look at pornography. Now, you know what's interesting about pornography? It is more addictive than heroin. That's why they're calling it the new drug. You know, King Saul in the Old Testament, we usually lampoon him. You know, we go through the history of Israel and they're like, well, you know, um, we had David and he sinned with Bathsheba and that was bad. But his son Saul, he had 800 wives and 200 concubines. Can you believe that pig? Right? What did I say? Oh, Solomon, not Saul. Well, Saul, he may have been pig too. We don't know. But anyway, uh, He was crazy at the very least. But anyway, Solomon, thank you. Solomon had 800 wives and 200 concubines, up to 1,000 that we know of. And we're like, oh, can you believe him? But did you know, did you know that in 2019, 5.8 billion hours of porn was watched? That is enough if it was played linearly to last for 665 years. I'm actually gonna round that up, 666 years, all right? That's Satan's weapon. That is Satan's weapon no matter where you're at. And I'm gonna tell you, I believe there are men and women today that have seen tens of thousands of people that are not their spouse and won't be their spouse, and yet we have the audacity to say, Oh boy, Solomon, he was, he was a bad guy. Listen, here's the deal. Satan was at work then, and with technology, he has been able to do even more. This isn't to shame anybody. It's to put our head in the game. That spiritual warfare is real. And we need to engage in our Savior to fight our battles for us. Another way that the enemy tries to engage us is with gossip when you're feeling down in your life often the enemy will tempt you with the with the tactic of gossip Uh, the bible says that a sign of being in the flesh is instead of spreading the gospel and building other people up you're spreading rumors and tearing people down have you ever thought why why do people gossip because they don't like where their life's at and that listen let's admit it like we're we're not perfect people we're real people being made new here at emmanuel right amen but there are moments we don't like where we're at and we feel vulnerable where we're at. And the enemy's like, ah. And you begin to tear other people down to make yourself feel better. It's never from the Lord. And yes, of course, we love to get self-righteous and spiritualize even our gossip, but that doesn't make it any better. Gossip is derogatory information about someone that you have shared with others in a tone of confidentiality that's not motivated by doing good to them. 
Now, if you have a direct report meeting and you're in HR and you're like, I, I can't talk, no, no, no. There's, there's context to things here, okay? But like you're just having lunch and like, and you just go down the list. You're, you know, you go down your contacts. Let me give you the update on this one, right? I'm gonna tell you right now, no matter how good you're gonna try to spin it, you're wrong. The enemy loves to use the weapon of bitterness. Satan will bring up your past over and over again. He wants you to be brought to a place that's not filled with the love of Jesus, but the hatred towards others. And yes, they may have done something illegitimate to you, but it doesn't mean that you can murder them in your mind day in and day out. Oh, I wouldn't murder them in my mind. Well, listen, anybody that has, that has anger towards somebody, what did Jesus say? It's the equivalent of what spiritually? Murder. Satan loves to bring things up. He loves to resurrect old wounds. Even when you've forgiven somebody and there's been reconciliation, that doesn't mean the enemy's gonna try to dig those bones back up. The enemy loves to use negativity. Sometimes he just wants you to be down. Sometimes he just, oftentimes he wants you to become a suspicious thinker. You know what a suspicious thinker is? It's somebody who doesn't think the best of somebody. They think the worst. I know why that person did that. This is what's going on in their heart. Terrible person, right? And what we try to do there, what the enemy says that you can do is the enemy says, you're a discerning person. Have you heard that? I'm just a discerner. I had one guy, the most angry guy uh, that I, I knew at a previous church years ago. He goes, I'm a prophet. I'm like, no, you're in sin, all right? Like this guy would just like, tell and try to share things, negative things, tearing down things about everybody in the church. He was bitter, he was negative, and he was trying to play the role that only the Lord God Almighty has. The Lord God Almighty is, well, he knows it all, right? He's omnipotent, he knows everything. He knows the condition of our heart. We don't, but yet the enemy will try to make you the judge, jury, and executioner. Just try for a moment. If, you're, if you find yourself being negative, we all have negative moments. Some people are like, hey, you're so positive. Oh, yeah, Allison, I remember there's been times Allison's like, hey, you're so negative today, right? And so like, and I'm glad for that, right? Because what she's doing is she's inviting me to say, you know what? Instead of being half empty right now, I'm gonna look at this with God. This is what you can do. Man, I'm gonna challenge you right now. If you're negative thinkers, the world, the sky is falling. I want you to see this world. I want you to see that person. I want you to see that situation. What if God intervened? What if the Holy Spirit came over this person? What if this person got born again? What would be different? That's the hope of the world. Not seeing things as they are now, because that's what the enemy wants to say that your lot in life is. The enemy wants you to believe that it's your future. No, God is a God of hope. Through Jesus Christ, he can change everybody. He can change anything. And when you begin to see, God, what can you do? Something we need to know, any person that gives in to any one of these temptations in the church world, typically what we try to do is we try to bury these problems by hiding behind self-righteousness. A contentious person typically has something to hide. Typically, I'm going to be completely honest. They'll often make a minor issue into a major issue, all the while making their major issues minor issues in their life. Make no mistake, behind every satanic temptation is a satanic intention to deceive you, divide you, and destroy you. His spiritual struggle is real. We have a real enemy at war with you. Those are some of his tactics. Now, when does he do this? If we know some of his tactics, and by the way, we're gonna get even more into that next week, but when does he do it? When does he do it for you? Think about that. When, when are you most under attack? I heard this from Charles Stanley, so I'm gonna take this from him because it's just gold. But he said, when does the enemy attack? Spell out the word H-A-L-T, halt. Anytime that you find yourself in this, you need to halt, you need to begin to pray to the Lord God Almighty for strength. Halt, number one is this, when you're hungry. Oh yeah, it seems trivial, but come on, let's be honest. When you're hangry, sometimes it seems like the gates of hell have flung open, right? It's like, what happened? Oh, we missed lunch, right? But honestly speaking, it's in those moments that we call hangry. We got a nice cute word for it, right? But what we're doing is we're trying to excuse, I'm gonna treat this person really badly and not feel bad about it, right? And so we need to understand, like, if we, if we feel these certain things, we begin to think these certain ways, and we're hungry, be aware of that. Another one is when we're angry. The enemy loves looking for ways to trigger your anger, whether right or wrong. When you are feeling angry, know you need to halt and ask God to direct your thoughts 
and convictions and aspirations. Because when you are angry, it will not lead you to the spirit, but your own flesh, your own strength. Even if you're angry for the right reasons, you need to give your anger to the Lord and ask him for wisdom and peace and the leading of his Holy Spirit. You're most vulnerable for attack. You got H-A, what's L? Lonely. The enemy attacks when you feel lonely. When do you feel lonely? You need to know that. It's okay to admit that when you feel lonely, but no, the enemy wants to take advantage of that. It could be at night. It could be when your friends just leave. Just be aware of that. And finally, the enemy attacks when you're tired. I think this is universal for every single one of us. When we are tired, our filter goes away. We can't think straight. And sometimes we, when God is, when he brings you to a mountaintop experience, and you're thinking, man, nothing can touch me now. Guess what? You're gonna get tired physically, and it's in that moment you need God more than ever. You need him to fill you in your tiredness. I remember one time we had a, a huge youth event, and it was the most amazing thing. We had, about, we had 450 kids here. We had probably three, 30 people give their life to Christ that night, and I was on the top of the world. That next morning, I was beat, because it was a huge event. I was beat, and I just felt like, I felt the lowest point in my life. I'm like, what in the world? Well, you know what? Not calling myself Elijah, but we all have Elijah moments. Elijah had a mountaintop experience literally in the scriptures where he slayed the prophets of Baal, heaven came down, but the next day he was in the valley floor so depressed he wanted to take his own life. Notice that when you're tired, the enemy will always show up. When you're burning the midnight oil and you don't have enough sleep, the enemy will knock at three in the morning. Beware of when he attacks. The struggle is real. You have a real enemy that is at war with you. That's point one. I told you we'd spend a long time on it. Now, without further ado, here's number two. The thing that you need to know about the spiritual struggle being real is even though we have a real enemy who wants to attack you, we have an even bigger savior that's fighting for you. I wanna say that again because sometimes we need to drink that in a little bit. We may have a, a real enemy that's attacking you right now that wants nothing more to destroy you, but the good news is this, is that each and every one of you here right now has access to an even bigger savior that's fighting for you. Amen, church? You need to know these things that you feel like you're drowning in. These things that you feel like are defining your life. These things that you feel like you can never get over. It is not about you fighting in your flesh, trying to figure out the situations that's gonna get you to that next step to get you into the promised land. The only way that you're gonna get in the promised land is you need a savior that can walk you into the promised land because he's much bigger than the problems that we have in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have a real enemy, but much bigger God. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not have us wage war in our own strength but he gives you his Holy Spirit, fills you with his Holy Spirit to let you endure whatever you're enduring and he goes before you in his word, slaying the enemies down in front of you so that you can stand and endure on the day of his second coming or you can stand and endure when you stand before him. That word strongholds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in fact, let's put that verse back up if we can. That word strongholds, it's not the demons themselves are the strongholds. That word, that's not what this word means. This, this word means the, ide the ideologies of demons, the output of demonic activity. Therefore, we're not to engage directly with demons. You may see these ministries where they're demon hunters, okay, and they start yelling at, at demons. And here's the deal, you've been given all authority. Uh, demonic authority is not for you, right? But I also take a look at the Archangel Michael in the book of Jude. When the enemy had a railing accusation against him, the Archangel Michael, his response was the Lord rebuke you, right? What he's saying is, in the name of Jesus, this attack will not stand. In the name of Jesus, he's gonna take care of you. And in the name of Jesus, I am now gonna break down every single stronghold. And what is the strongholds of the enemy? It is the ideologies of the world that stand diametrically opposed to the things of God. It is, it is the output of the world that we see manifest through people. These are the things that we are to directly engage in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the falsehood, the twisting of God's word. We are called to lead people to Jesus. We are not called to save demons. We can't. We are called to rescue as we've been rescued. What, from what? Strongholds, demonic strongholds, ideology, uh, addictions, and the twisting of God's word. We are what Paul says, we are to demolish arguments that stand diametrically opposed to the things of God. That's why we spend time, even on a Sunday morning, sometimes demolishing arguments from the ideology of culture because they're not just some passive disagreement. Oftentimes these disagreements have, are demonic in origin. We're to take every thought captive, Paul says, and we're to place it under the authority of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, if we want to know God and how to demolish these, we need to know his word. We need to believe his word, obey his word, live in the outflow of his word. But I have a question for you today, and I want you to be really honest with yourself. Do you believe everything that's in this Bible? Do you? Everything. Do you believe that God's going to supply your needs? Do you? Do you believe that there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father? Do you believe that? Do you believe that every single word of Scripture is God-breathed and is appropriate to live a life that's pleasing to God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has a plan for your life, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's given you his Holy Spirit to be your helper do you believe that he's coming back? Do you believe that he can come back at any moment? Do you believe that you have been given a mission to reach people in this city? Do you believe that? Oh, I know that you know the answer should be yes, but my question is, is it yes? Because when you disbelieve any portion of scripture, it will never be held in isolation. It will be a domino that will begin to drop, that will begin to drop, it will begin to drop other things in your life. Do you believe it all? Because Paul says... All scripture is inspired. So therefore to disobey or disbelieve or even to disengage from the word of God is to remove yourself from the protection of God and open yourself up to direct attack of the enemy. And we do live in an age of deconstruction where people are changing their faith or they're questioning God's word, making it more palatable to what society says today. We're to think that we can pick and choose clear biblical teaching we live in an era where a podcast and websites where people can make any outrageous claim and as long as you have people that say, oh, I believe that, it's a legitimate following. But let me tell you this. You are not strong enough to wage in this battle by yourself. You are not smart enough to outsmart Almighty God. You are not a savior. Without God, you and I are Nothing. Nothing. He's the potter, we are the clay. Who are we, the clay, to say to the potter, it should be this way? And yet we live in an age where we say, no, 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 you can tell the potter what to do. I rebuke that in the name of the Lord. That is a demonic attack against the word of the Lord. Do you agree, church? So many Christians, though, they've disengaged, and a number of Christians, they've even deconstructed, but I will say this, if you deconstruct, it is a sure way, and 100% way, that you will self-destruct. 100%. And I say that strongly because I've seen so many people in my life do that. I want this to be a warning. We need to be people of the word. So many Christians have disengaged with God and only leads to spiritual disaster. But we have an almighty God who's much bigger than you, your mind, your understandings, and he's much bigger than the enemy and has ensured us a victory over the enemy. Because listen, our God I just want to just, can I just dote on the Lord a little bit, right? Can I, can I just, can I just uh, brag on him, right? We're not supposed to brag, except we can brag about one thing. We can brag about our God. Can we do that for a moment? Our God is perfect, right? He's unchangeable. He doesn't change his mind. We know his promises. We know they will come true. We know they hold true. We know that if he said something, we can believe that something's going to happen. Why? Because he doesn't change. He's all-knowing. He's full of wisdom, our enemy, on the other hand, he doesn't know everything. He borrows some things. He lies about things. He twists things. He's full of deceit. God's always truthful. The enemy always lies. God's all-powerful. The enemy's on a leash. God's always faithful. The enemy is faithless. 
God is all loving and the enemy, he is spreading a counterfeit of what is love. And our God is just and the enemy wants to redefine what is justice. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood, but it is the full armor of God empowered by the spirit of God to demolish strongholds. And we demolish these strongholds. We cannot demolish these strongholds without being in the word, without praying. By the way, I want to say there's been a number of people praying at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings in a room upstairs. You ought to join them. Why? Because we want to demolish the strongholds. The enemy wants nothing more for you to not hear what God's word is going to say this morning. So get here a little early, start praying. That'd be awesome. But we're not going to demolish strongholds without being in the word, without being in prayer, and without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The spiritual struggle is real. You have a real enemy that wants to wage war with you. We have an even bigger savior who is fighting for you. And finally, as we land, you have a guarantee of eternal victory. You have a guarantee in this battle. As we go through these next four weeks, I want you to know this. You have a guarantee of eternal victory. Let that sink in where the struggle's at this morning. This isn't to make you feel bad. This is to equip you to feel good, to feel hopeful, because you have a Savior that goes before you who wants to guarantee you victory. He's not guaranteeing you that your circumstances are gonna get better instantly or get better at all, but what he is guaranteeing is no matter the circumstances on the ground, you're gonna cross that finish line. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. If you feel weak in the fight, this beautiful promise is God's given you everything you need to survive this fight. And not just survive, but thrive. You need to ask Almighty God, God, I know that you've given me everything in the heavenlies to go through this. I know that you go before me. You are not against me if I'm in Jesus Christ. I know that you will supply all what I need. Just ask. Just ask for his power. Ask for his gifts. Connect with your church family. Be vulnerable. This isn't a place that we have to like act like we have it all together. You know, when you go to, maybe this has been your church experience, you've been in church in the past, and some guy just, or, or, or some lady just goes off the deep end, and you're like, what happened? Man, they were like, you know, really, really spiritual. No, they were acting. Let's not act. Let's be real. Not for the sake of, we're just real, and we're just gonna keep on going the route we're gonna go. No, so that we can sharpen each other to be more like Christ, that we can encourage each other to cross that finish line, that we can encourage one another to be more like Jesus. I'm gonna leave with this. This is our application today. Ephesians chapter six, verse 13. For this reason, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared for everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is our application. You need to put on the armor. What piece of armor are you lacking? Is it truth? Let's put that up there. Let's put that on there. Here's our, here's our application. Is it truth? Is it with holy living? The holy living means this, not perfect living. Holy is an old word that means set apart living. Are you setting apart your life to, to be obedient to the things of God? Number three is, are you ready with the gospel? Are you sharing your faith? This is, if you, if you do not share your faith, it's to your detriment is what the word of God is saying. It doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious. You just need, you need to be ready. Ready to share and connect people to Jesus. Number four, maybe it's just faith. It's just trusting God with, with the small things, maybe big things. The helmet of salvation, maybe for some of you that you've never met Jesus. He's not your personal savior. You have not placed your faith and trust in him alone. Number six, here it is again, the word of God. We have to be people of the word. So what is it? I want you just to just ask God, God, where is it? What piece of armor am I going into battle and I'm missing? What's that opening in the armor that a flaming arrow could just go and hit me? What is it? 
Let's pray. Father, we know that we have an enemy that wants to seek to destroy us. But Lord, we stand here today in hope and in joy knowing that you are way bigger than our enemy and you guarantee our victory. But God, I pray we would not be passive in this, but we'd be active. Lord, I pray that we put on the full armor. God, I pray this morning for anybody today that doesn't have the helmet of salvation, that they've never personally placed their faith and trust in you alone. As we continue to pray, and again, just seek out, ask God, God, what, what is that piece of the armor I'm missing? I wanna to talk to anybody in this room right now as we continue to pray. Do you know for certain you have been saved from your sins? Do you know for certain you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? You see, God created you to have a relationship with him, but your sin, the wrong that you've committed, has separated you from Almighty God. There's no religion, there's no good work that can get you back to God by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. That's why Jesus came. He did what you could not do. He died on the cross, stood in your place, and took on all your sins, past, present, and future. He died for them. But because Jesus is a perfect, sinless sacrifice, because Jesus is God, death couldn't keep him, and he rose from the dead. Your response is this. If you want to receive his forgiveness, this morning you need to place your full faith and trust in Christ alone. Just tell Jesus, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need forgiveness of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead to save me from my sins. Just tell him that. Stand on those promises this morning. Receive him. The Bible says those whom they receive become children of God. If that's you this morning, that you have said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. If you, if you prayed out to God this morning and said, Jesus, I'm placing my full faith and trust in you. If you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins for the first time this morning, with no one looking around, will you just, will you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I placed my faith and trust in him this morning. That was me. Great. As we continue, what is it? What's that piece of armor you're missing? It's yours. Ask and connect with those that encourage you to be fully suited up in the armor of the spiritual warfare. The circumstances and the things that you think are defining you right now, Jesus Christ has overcome. So Father, I just pray that your spirit would just so fill everybody to the brim. They'd be so full of faith that they would be obedient to you in all things. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church Podcast.